chapter 3, redeemed. We're going to talk about being redeemed in the kinsman redeemer today. And let me give you some background if you weren't here the last couple of weeks. In the first couple of chapters of Ruth, we see a lady by the name of Naomi who has a husband named Elimelech. And they have two sons. Uh, one is Kilion and the other one is Malon. And uh, they live in Bethlehem, which would later be the house of David. And you'll hear more about that. That's the town where Jesus was born. And they live in Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. But there is a famine in Bethlehem. Kind of ironic. There's a famine. There's no food, no bread in the house of bread. So they up and move. They move not one or two towns over, but they move all the way over to another country by the name of Moab. Say Moab with me. Moab. And when they arrive in Moab, they're in a different culture. They're around people of different religions and who have different ways of doing things. And yet, there they are in Moab. And while they're there in Moab, the dad, Elimelech, he dies. Not only that, the sons get married to a couple of Moabite women. One of them was named Orpah. Say Orpah with me. Orpah. Not Oprah, but Orpah, okay? And the other one was named Ruth, okay? Say Ruth, okay? This is the one that the book is named after. Her name was Ruth, okay? And after they were married for about 10 years, the two sons die. And so they're no longer there. The dad has died. The two sons have died. Naomi is a widow, and now she has no children. But there is one sliver of good news, The famine has been said to be over in Bethlehem. And so Naomi decides, I'll move back to Bethlehem. That's where I'm from. That's what I know. Those are my people. They worship my God. I'll move back there. And Ruth and Naomi, or Ruth and Orpah say, Naomi, we love you. We'll move back with you, the daughters-in-law say. And Ruth says, you really don't want to move back with me to Bethlehem. It's going to be different. A culture's different. God's different. All that's different. And they say, no, we'll move with you. And then Ruth says, no, you don't want to do that. And then Orpah finally says, no, okay, I'll stay here. But Ruth says, I'm going to go with you, Naomi. You cannot stop me. Your people should be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. I'm going with you. And so she does. And so Ruth and Naomi, they move back to Bethlehem. And when they get there, there are a couple of widows, so they have no way of providing for themselves. And so Ruth says, I will go out into one of the fields and pick grain. There was a law in the land that said that the farmers had to leave some grain for people who were poor in order to pick it so they could survive. And so Ruth says, we're poor. I'll go out and I'll get permission and see if somebody will let us pick grain. And so she does. She gets permission and she starts picking grain in this field. Well, the field, little did she know, was owned by an eligible bachelor by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is an incredible guy. 
And Boaz begins to take an interest in Ruth. And there's nothing going on yet. Nobody knows for sure. But it's like one of those Hallmark movies. You see the guy over there. And you see the girl over there. And you know somehow, someway, they got to get together. Because this is the right guy for her, right? But Boaz is that kind of guy. He is amazing. He is incredible. He is thoughtful. He's generous. He's rich. He's probably good looking. He's got everything. He's the total package. And somehow, someway, the two of them got to get together. That's where we find ourselves in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Naomi could have been selfish. She could have said, Ruth, I'm all alone. I don't want you to ever leave me. Don't you dare go off and get a husband. But Naomi's being unselfish here. Say unselfish with me. Unselfish. We can learn from that. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this. Don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit. But in humility of mind, consider others as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Too often, we look out for ourselves, and we don't look out for the interests of others. But Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake in the Gospels, you will find it. Not only does Naomi give Ruth freedom, she also gives her some positive encouragement. Verse 2. Is not Boaz... With whose servant girls you've been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight we'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Get ready, Ruth. You need to go see Boaz and you need to be prepared to meet him when you do. So get washed up, put on some perfume, put on your best clothes and get ready to go see Boaz. Now question, how many of you believe God is sovereign? God is in charge. God can do what God chooses to do. Can he not? That's right. But how many of you believe that means God has called us to be lazy and apathetic? I don't think so, right? Suppose you had a job interview at a CPA firm. And you just finished your degree in accounting. And you knew this was the place where you are supposed to work. And then Scott Kisselball, who attends our first service, calls you on the phone for his practice. He says, hey, can you come over for an interview? We'd like to hire you. And, and so you come over and think, hey, I got the job. So when you get ready to go over there, rather than putting on some good clothes, you put on a pair of shorts, T-shirt, flip-flops, and a ball cap. And you walk over into the CPA office and you plop your feet up on Scott Kisselball's desk and you say, hey, I'm ready for my job. How many think you're going to get hired? Suppose, young ladies, let's say you're in love. Say in love with me. In love, okay? And, and you have found the right guy. And uh, you think that he is interested in you. And you think this is probably a done deal. And he's asked you out for a date. So when he asked you out for a date, you get all excited. Say, you know, I know God is in this. And I believe we'll probably get married. I know the guy's got to like me because I just sense it. So 
I ain't going to worry about taking a shower. Hadn't had one in three days. Hey, can't I go four? You know, I hadn't brushed my, my teeth in a couple of days, James. I think I'll just go another day and not do that. Deodorant is way overrated. I'm just going to show up and I'm going to go see the guy and I'll say, hello, I'm here. How many think you're going to get second date? No, God is sovereign, but God is also calling us to give ourselves and to give our best, okay? That's what Naomi is telling Ruth here. Hey, get ready. I think God might be in this, but you need to be ready for this. Naomi tells Ruth, verse 3, wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Somehow make sure he notices you. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a strange plan to me. <laughs> but it could have been a custom. And truth be told, I don't have a lot of room to talk. You see, the first date that I went on with my wife, we went to a funeral with her mother. We got home, I rented a movie for 53 cents, Angels in the Outfield. Not exactly a romantic, uh, stellar performance. But it worked. Okay. Anyway, this was strange, though, in my mind. Maybe not to them. Apparently, what Ruth is about to do would have made sense back then more than it does today. So I not, would not suggest what Ruth did at the next church lock-in, young people. But you got to admit, Ruth's plan did have some practicality to it. First of all, Naomi tells Ruth to be attractive. Wash yourself, put on your best clothes, get some perfume, be ready. Be attractive and be attentive. Ruth, pay attention to where Boaz is going to be. You don't want to uncover the feet of the wrong guy. How embarrassing would that be? She goes over there into this big barn... And she's supposed to uncover the feet of the right guy. And she gets the wrong guy. That would be totally embarrassing, would it not? I remember about 15, 20 years ago. I was staying at my mother-in-law's house. Monique and I had gone there for Christmas. And it's Christmas morning. It's early in the morning. And uh, Monique and her mom had gotten up to fix breakfast. Well, Monique's 98-year-old grandma, Grandma Aislinger, we called her Grandma Ace, she also lived at the house. And normally she stayed in the bedroom across from the whole bathroom. But because we were home, and she was moved back to the back bedroom because they had a twin bed and, and the whole bath uh, bedroom there had a full-size queen bed. And so we were in the queen bed, which is normally Grandma Ace's room. Well, Monique and her mom had gotten up early to fix breakfast. I'm still lying in bed. Grandma Ace gets up and she goes to the bathroom. After she finishes in the bathroom, she forgets where her room is that night. And she comes into my room. I'm lying there in bed. There she is. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to startle her. I don't want to embarrass her. So I just don't say anything. And she comes closer and closer and closer and closer. And she starts to lift up the cover. She sees me. That's, oh, no, I am in the wrong room. She goes into the kitchen. She tells me, I'm not trying to steal your husband. It's a little bit embarrassing. 
So Ruth's got to make sure she gets the right guy here, okay? Naomi also told Ruth to be available. Naomi told Ruth that he will tell you what to do. Naomi tells Ruth to be attractive, be attentive, be available, and to be discreet. Don't blow a trumpet. Don't go in broad daylight. Don't say, hey, I'm here, everybody. No, you kind of sneak in quietly into the room, and you find Boaz, and you uncover his feet. And if he says no, then you just flip out, okay, and we're good. Nobody's going to know but you and him. Boaz has already indicated some interest. It's not like Ruth is chasing after this guy. But to paraphrase Henry Blackaby, Ruth has noticed where God is working and she's joining him. Notice how Ruth responded to Naomi in verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Question. How many of you love to receive advice? I mean, you're a kid. It's like, oh no, mom and dad's got one more thing for me to do, okay? Or maybe you got a mother-in-law like Ruth did. And her mother-in-law's got some advice for you. Here's what you need to do. Sometimes we don't like to get advice, but, but it's a mark of humility to be able to receive advice from others. And Ruth is receiving this from Naomi. And that's a good thing. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's a great verse. And sometimes that is so hard, is it not? Proverbs 18, 13 says, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Have you ever caught yourself doing this in a conversation? You're having a discussion with somebody, maybe a bit of a disagreement, and they're telling you their side. But rather than listening to what they have to say, you are formulating your answer because you're going to win this argument. Have you ever done that? The Bible says don't do that. Listen to the other person. Hear what they have to say. Verse 6. So she, that's Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, in our culture today, this action would be weird improper, and even suggests immorality. But apparently they had some different customs, and Ruth and Boaz were above reproach. Verse 8. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he, that's Boaz, turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer. How many of you think Ruth is taking a risk here? He, she sneaks over there to this pallet where Boaz is lying down and she uncovers his feet and says, hey, it's me, it's Ruth. What if Boaz says no? That'd be just a little bit awkward, would it not? But sometimes God calls us to take risks. Okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. But I believe you're in this. And so, God, I am going to trust you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to see where you lead. But I am willing to step out in faith and follow you. And that's what Ruth is doing here. Verse 10. Boaz says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. 
You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. You could have gotten someone much younger, Ruth, but you chose me. My wife did the same thing. All right. That's what her mom said. I'm just kidding. Okay. Moving on. Verse 11. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you're a woman of noble character. That's what Boaz says to Ruth. He says, you're a woman. Everybody knows you're a woman of noble character. Question for our youth and singles. What are you looking for in a husband or a wife? Somebody who's got a lot of money. Somebody who makes you laugh. Somebody who has a good job. Or are you looking for someone who has noble character? Let me encourage you to look for a person with character. You see, money won't make you happy. And somebody who makes you laugh now, if they're not a person of noble character, they're going to make you cry probably later. But how do you know the person is a person of noble character? I suggest that you take Scripture and a good one might be this, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say love with me, love. And by love, we're not talking about somebody who's Mr. Romantic. We're talking about somebody who loves unconditionally. And you're good and you're bad. Warts and all, they love you. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Say joy with me. Joy. You don't want to marry a sourpuss. You want to marry somebody who's always whining, always complaining, and they're never happy about anything because they'll make you miserable with them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Say peace with me. Peace. You want a person of peace. You want a person who's a peacemaker, not a warmonger among you, okay? You want somebody that you can get along with. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Here's the hard one. You know what it is? Patience. You know what the King James calls Patience long-suffering, and it feels like it sometimes, does it not? <sighs> right? That's hard. But look for somebody who has patience, okay? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How many of you want to marry somebody who's a nice guy, right? Right, that's right. You want to marry a nice person, right? You don't want to marry somebody who's just mean all the time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You want to marry somebody who's going to be faithful to you, Right? gentleness, right, and self-control. Those are great qualities to look for in a person that you might want to marry because those are qualities that honor God and those are qualities that help people to, to love and work together in the best way possible. So look for those things and try to be that kind of person, whether you're married or single right now. That's a great list for all of us to grow into as followers of Jesus Christ. Can't do it all in our own power, but by the power of Christ. Verse 12. Although it's true, Boaz says, that I am near kin, there's a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. In the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. What Boaz is saying, in essence, is, Ruth, I would like to marry you, but... According to the law, there is someone else who has the first right of refusal. And they have the first option if they want to choose to marry you. It's a different custom back then. 
Now, reading chapters 2 and 3, it seems obvious that Boaz cares for Ruth. This is more than just a concern for proper legal transactions, but Boaz still wants to make sure he's doing things the right way. Verse 14, so she, that's Ruth, lay at Boaz's feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Now, Ruth and Boaz are not hiding some impropriety here. There's no sexual relationship, not even a kiss. No mention even of a warm embrace. Apparently, what she was doing was a custom, a rather strange custom to us, but still simply above reproach. Nevertheless, even though they have done nothing wrong, they want to make sure that their good is not being spoken of as evil. And there's a principle there for us. It's not enough just to do the right thing. But we ought to live our lives in such a way that if other people see what we are doing, not give them reason to start gossiping, saying things about us. And I think one of the greatest examples of that as a person in national leadership was Billy Graham. How many of you heard of Billy Graham? Probably all of you. Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived. But not only was he a great evangelist, he was a great man. He was very careful because he knew that many other men of his stature and notoriety had fallen into sin. And he did not even want a hint of reproach to be said about him. And so he made sure he was never alone with the woman. He also, they say, when he would go to a hotel room, now, this would not be normal for us, but for him, he would send another man into the room first because he knew that there might be people out there who would want to catch him looking like he's involved in sin, and they might plant a woman into the room. So he would send somebody else into the room first because he was concerned that his reputation would be above reproach important lesson for us as well. It's easy for us to put ourselves in positions where other people can gossip or talk about us. And Boaz is that kind of person as well. Verse 15. Boaz also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he, some manuscripts say she, but he went back to town. There's Mr. Thoughtful Boaz, still remembering to take care of Ruth. I told you he's a good guy. Verse 16. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked her, How did it go, my daughter? I think it's cool he, she calls Naomi her daughter. Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Boaz is being proactive. He's going to make sure that this matter is settled ASAP. Chapter 4, verse 1 tells us that, meanwhile, Boaz went up to town, the town gate, and sat there. While Ruth has gone home to Naomi, Boaz has gone to the town gate to see people. He wants to get this thing worked out right away. Boaz wants to take Ruth as his wife, but here's a problem. Boaz is the second in line. There's another potential kinsman redeemer ahead of him, and he has, in essence, first right of refusal. 
Boaz is dotting his I's and crossing his T's. He's wanting to make sure he does everything right. Verse 1 continues. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So we went over and sat down. Okay, so far, so good. I got this potential kinsman redeemer over here, but I think I'm really the guy, but I'm going to get this straightened out right now. Verse 2. So Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. In ordinary circumstances, two or three were sufficient to attest a bargain. But in cases of importance, such as matrimony, divorce, transfer of property, it was the Jewish practice to have 10 people there. These 10 could have be both judges of the cause and witnesses of the fact. Boaz, again, is being thorough. No wonder he's respected throughout the community. He's rich and he's powerful, but he also treats others with dignity and respect. Verse 3. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to her brother Limelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you'll not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. We all know what's going to happen next, right? The number one kinsman redeemer is going to say, no, Boaz, you can have her. And everybody's going to sing the hallelujah chorus. But that's not what happens. Let's go on. There's a fly in the ointment. In the last part of verse 4, the other guy says, I will redeem it. Now, wait a second. It's not supposed to happen that way. The whole book of Ruth reads kind of like a Hallmark romantic movie, you know, that this guy has to get with that girl, but it doesn't happen that simply. There's these little twists and turns along the way, but you know in the end, Ruth and Boaz, they're going to get together, aren't they? If you look at our lives in view of eternity, it's a bit like that. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, is he not? Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the grave and he's coming back again. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you'll be with him forever and ever one day. Will you not? But that doesn't mean that life is going to be simple without any problems along the way. There's going to be issues. There are going to be struggles. There are going to be twists. and There are going to be turns. There are going to be things that happen in your life that are not going to make sense. It's called life. Have all these twists and all these turns and all these bumps along the way. But in the middle of it all, God says, I will be with you. And one day I will take you home to be with me forever. But ultimately, God's going to pull this all together. Might not all happen in this life. If it doesn't happen here, it's going to happen up there with him. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitish, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. The other kinsman redeemer didn't know this was a package deal. If you get the land, you get the woman, but you're not just getting a woman, you're getting a, a dead man's widow. And you're going to have to raise up kids to her former husband's name. I don't want to read too much into this. There may be nothing to it, but I personally like the way Boaz states it. It's almost like he's deliberately trying to make this sound unappealing. Boaz says, hey, you know, buddy, 
if you follow through on this tale, he doesn't say you're going to get this amazing, wonderful, gorgeous girl. He says, you're going to get a dead man's widow. You really want that? And you're going to have to raise up kids. And, you know, those kids are going to have a, a, a name that's going to kind of be connected with, with her ex-husband that died, her husband that died's name. And the guy starts thinking, I don't I really want that. I think Boaz might be playing a little psychology because he wants this girl. He wants this to work out. That's kind of the KRV, the Kevin Roberts version, but that's kind of how I see it there. Let's make this as unappealing as possible. Let's go to verse 6, Marty. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Now, if you're watching the Hallmark movie, this is a place where you say, yes, they're getting together. This is incredible. This is amazing. Now, if you're a guy sitting there with your wife saying, gag me with a spoon, right? This is a little bit much for me. But this is great. This is history. And God was working his plan all along, leading up to Jesus the Messiah. Let's get to that. Verse 7. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. I know that sounds a little strange to us, does it not? We're going to make this official now. Take off your shoe. Give it to the other guy. It's like, okay. A little bit different, but that's the way they did it back then. It's about as romantic as a 53-cent movie and going to a funeral with your mother-in-law-to-be, but that's kind of how it worked. Verse 8. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. He removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilead, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. That's not a very romantic wedding announcement either, is it, Troy? But coming from the guy whose first date was with his mother-in-law and wife-to-be in 53-cent movie, who am I to talk? Whether romantic or not, it was official. Ruth and Boaz are going to get married. Verse 11. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Little did they know... That the book of the Bible would be named after Ruth one day. Boaz and Ruth would bring children to the world. It would become the grandfather of David, King David. You know who David was? When you honor God, you don't always know how greatly he might use it. But he does incredible things. The more that we can ask or think or even imagine. And do you know who came from the line of David? Hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Redeemer. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law 
who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons, isn't that amazing, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the women living here said, Naomi has a son. Remember Naomi? Do you know what the name Naomi means? It means pleasant. Naomi was a, a pleasant person. But when she went to Moab and she lost her husband and she lost her two sons and she came back home, she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter. Naomi says, I'm a bitter woman now. I've been hurt over and over and over again. But Naomi's not saying that anymore. She is celebrating what God has done. Verse 17 continues. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. One of my favorite verses in all the Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says that you serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all you could ask or think or even imagine. Do you believe that? You serve a God who's declared you to be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Do you believe that? You serve a God who's promised to be with you whatever circumstances you might face in this life. Do you believe it? Now, you don't serve a God who says, follow me, and life will be a breeze. He doesn't say, follow me, and you won't have any problems. But he does say, you follow me, and I'll be with you in the middle of the problems. And Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, gave his life that you might have life abundant and eternal through his name. Amen? With every head bowed, I want you to think about that for just a moment.